0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, good morning. How are you? Happy Friday Eve. <laughs> I love to say Friday Eve. It just makes it just puts me in a mo- the mood. You know, it's like saying having Christmas Eve a you know, Merry Christmas Eve. It just gives you that sense of anticipation. Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade this morning. A lot coming up on the show. I want to start off talking about Senator Marsha Blackburn. She's on the Senate Judiciary and the Armed Services Committee's. And she is taking steps to address the crisis on the border. Now, I think we all pretty much know this probably isn't going to go anywhere uh, because the Democrats just seem hell bent on flooding this country with people from all over the world, I mean it's it's just crazy. Um, just some numbers for you. Byron York had a piece in Town Hall, and I'll tell you just a second about what uh, Senator Blackburn uh, is is doing. She's introducing a bill to address this. But according to Byron York, in a piece in Town Hall and a new report out, in the last few months, U.S. authorities have encountered illegal border crossers, of course, from Mexico and the Northern Triangle uh, countries of Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. But they're also encountering these people from 160 different nations around the world. And that just boggled my mind. And now I'm aware that people are coming from all over. I, I obviously understand that but 160 countries. It's its just crazy. Uh, Lynn, let, let's talk about Senator Marsha Blackburn's bill to reinstate President Trump's migrant protection
3: protocols. Senator Marsha Blackburn, thank you for
2: joining us.
3: I am delighted to join you. Thank you so much. And yes, we are hard at work trying to reinstate those protocols. It's Important to get those Remain in Mexico policies in place for individuals that are coming to the U.S. trying to claim asylum. Do,
2: do you honestly think, though, this is going to go anywhere? Because uh, and you can disagree with me. and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. But I think this is something that the Democrats want. They want this country so overrun with people here illegally that if a Republican ever becomes president again, uh, that they will never be able to sort them out. And we're just going to have to have mass amnesty once again.
3: This is their goal, and what we know is now we have Democrats in some of the border states, and we have law enforcement and ICE and CBP. In these border areas, that are saying it is time to put these protocols back in place because they worked. They helped the border patrol get that border under control. And when you look at the crossing numbers from 2019 and 2020 when these protections were in place we had a border that the Border Patrol says we could manage this we could handle this our numbers decreased tremendously so this is what we need to see back on the books and um, When you have Democrats beginning to separate from the president and from a Homeland Security Commissioner who doesn't believe in a secure border, isn't that amazing? Secretary Mayorkas does not believe in secure, sovereign borders. He believes in an open border. And now you have Democrats that are beginning to say, hey, wait a minute. We need to make certain that we secure these borders.
2: Um, Let me ask you this, because I was just reading a piece uh, from um, Byron York in Town Hall that we have people coming into this country from 160 different nations around the planet. That's correct. The New York Times' Miriam Jordan reported that there's... um, the people coming in from Brazil, from Venezuela, some people are coming in from Asia, they they take a bus to like Mumbai, to a big city where they are, then they get on planes to Dubai, then they go to Moscow, Paris, or Madrid, and then they fly to Mexico City, then they um, take another flight, or they just take a bus to the border and get off and walk in. We have no control over that, yet we have, if you come in on a plane into the United States, you have to have papers and all that, you would never, Byron York points out, you would never get rid of that. We would think the government was crazy if they said you don't need any kind of papers or ID if you fly into this country. Republicans can own this. And and I'm just curious, is why not take a, a, you know that that type of angle to this, point out that, you know why not introduce a bill that says, well, it's not fair to people flying into the country, so why not introduce a bill that's totally ridiculous that says we think that you shouldn't have to have papers to fly into this country because that's discriminatory and And use the democrats own language because they'll
3: never vote for it right they would never vote for and support that and we have so many people who have called delta airlines and american airlines and have said we will not show an id <laughs> because, and you can't ask us for an ID because we have this open border situation. And as you said, and as Byron reported, we have people from 160 different countries that have come into this country. And as you have pointed out, people from all over the globe. That is because these cartels. These cartels are global enterprises. They are very sophisticated businesses. They're making more money right now trafficking human beings than they are trafficking drugs. So this is why we have to secure the border to show that our country is stronger than the cartel. And we are not going to let the cartel get the best of us. They may be running that border on the Mexico side, but we cannot let them be running that border on the U.S. side. Mm-hmm. And we have to put a stop to this business of using taxpayer dollars to fly these migrants under the cloak of darkness to different cities around the country, and then after they land in private planes, chartered planes, after they land, then they put them on buses and take them to different cities and put them in group homes or take them to whomever is going to be uh, their next of kin or their sponsor. We are doing part of the cartel's work. This is why the Remain in Mexico policy worked. It caused people to have to stay in Mexico until their asylum claim was heard. Right now, what they are doing is turning them loose in the country, and most of these people will never show up. They'll never show up and have that asylum claim. So what we have to do is make certain that we continue to push this legislation, that we force a vote on this legislation. It may be that we have to rule 14 it to the floor. We will see if we can get unanimous consent to put it on the floor, but we have to push to put these protocols in place. Are you getting any support from Democrats? You know what is so interesting? We have Democrats, as I said, in some of these border Mm -hmm. states that are beginning to say, we have to secure the border. And that is a big step for some of your House members and your Senate members that are in these border areas to begin to say, we have to secure this. When you have this Secretary of Homeland Security who is for an open border and keeps lying to the American people and saying, our border is closed. Well, no, it's not closed. Anybody can look at footage that is coming in from any number of reporters that are down there interviewing people that are coming from China and Venezuela and uh, Brazil and Europe and all these countries coming into the
2: U.S. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're tackling this. I just have two quick questions before we run out of time here on two other topics. Uh, You are on the Senate Judiciary Committee. I just want to know, has anyone seen John Durham? Anybody do do, I mean he he's he's like he's as much of a phantom as Kamala Harris is I'm just curious.
3: Well, and he is continuing to work on his awesome. report, and that report is going to be delivered. That process was slowed because of what transpired with COVID, and we look forward to getting that report. Well, Schwarzkopf
2: went in and freed an entire country in less time. That's all I'm saying. This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. And uh, <laughs> the Armed Services Committee, mm-hmm. you are on as well, and just very quickly, What is happening in this country when we have Democrats, Black Lives Matter uh, and other organizations siding with a terrorist group, siding with Hamas over our one friend, our best friend in the Middle East, Israel? What is happening? I don't recognize this country anymore.
3: Well, uh, does anybody recognize the modern-day Democrats? There used to be a time when they stood with Israel, when it was our stated policy as a country that we stood with our strongest ally in the Middle East, this beacon of democracy in the Middle East. And we supported them without reservation. We have helped them to develop the Iron Dome, doing work with them on David's sling. And what we know is that this has been our stated policy. Now, you have a group of leftists who are uh, progressives or socialists, whichever term they choose to use for themselves. They are supporters of Hamas. This nation... Our nation, the United States of America, has recognized Hamas as a terrorist organization for the past two decades. Now, think about that. And now you have the Democrat Party that has moved so far left, they cannot even stand with Israel when a terrorist organization is attacking them. And by the way, Hamas... Who were they being funded by? They are being funded by Iran. So when you look at these groups that are, that are funding Hamas, Hezbollah helping fund Hamas, and all of them trying to attack and destroy Israel. When you look at the border issue and the cartels that are global organizations, that are pushing against the U.S. government, and you have a party, um, members of the Democratic Party, who will not stand against it. You know, we had in Chattanooga, Tennessee right now, we've got a situation where they have had plane loads of these migrants land in the middle of the night at the airport, and these individuals put on buses, and they're being sent to cities around the southeast. And you do not know who these individuals are. You do not know what country they are from. You do not know if they're linked to gangs or terrorist groups, or if they have convictions. Uh, have been convicted of crimes, all of which, out of the individuals that they have apprehended, we know that there are individuals in that population of those apprehended, those illegal aliens apprehended, that have committed crimes, that are on terrorist watch list, that are sneaking into the country for, for adverse actions.
2: Yeah, it's a mess, but I really do think, especially circling back to immigration, Republicans own this. They can own it. They can force Re- uh, Democrats into very uncomfortable votes and maybe playing the game the way Democrats do with things like this, you know, really making them put themselves on the line and showing that to the American people. I really think Republicans can be successful and, and probably win a lot of votes because we got to win everything back in 2022. Senator yes, Marsha Blackburn. We do. Thank you for working so hard. Appreciate it. And you have a fantastic weekend. You got it. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. More coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
1: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Mary Walters sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Uh, we were just speaking with Senator Marsha Blackburn, and we were talking about uh, her bill that she's re- that she's going to be introducing that will bring back uh, President Trump's um, migrant. Protocols, the stay in Mexico policy that he had, that you would have to, you know, stay there, but we don't just release you into the country. And she wants to force Democrats to vote on that. And I think it's a great idea, but unfortunately, I don't think Democrats are are going to vote for it. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. And and it's great that we want to do that, but um, I just don't think that it's going to get the votes necessary to to go anywhere. And we're just going to keep having these people flood across the border. And I referenced a piece in town hall by Byron York, and I really think it's a good read. You should look it up. Um, it's called a. Dis- Disaster entirely of Joe Biden's thinking. And there are just some incredible numbers in this piece that I would like to share with you. He talks about, um, and we spoke about this with the senator, that there are people that we know of. That have been logged coming across the border illegally from 160 nations. These are not just people from Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. You have people from all over the world coming into this country illegally. And I remember... Probably about a year or so ago, prob- more than that, I guess, when President Trump was still president and the yapping Yentas on The View uh, were talking about this and, you know, I don't expect anything fact-based to come out of it. And Joy Behar was speaking, which is even more reason to not expect anything fact-based or worth remembering to come out. But I remember her being puzzled about how people from Somalia get here. How do they get here? They can't walk here. It's just like. Okay, okay, Joy. So uh, the New York Times even has a piece where they talk about how they're doing it. Migrants coming from India and Asia and they interviewed them and some reported taking buses in their hometowns to a big city like in India to Mumbai. From there, they get on planes to Dubai. Then they get on planes to Moscow, Paris or Madrid. And from those cities, they fly to Mexico City. From there, they get on a bus. It's about two days and they get to the Mexico-U.S. border. And then there's aid workers that help them the rest of the way. We have a red, you know, we have a red carpet. We have a welcoming committee, you know, with with lovely crudite platters out for them. Welcome to America. They say that their aid workers report seeing migrants from um, uh, that are speaking Haitian Creole, Hindi, Portuguese, Arabic, and they say according to the New York Times quote, many of them are entering the United States through wide openings in the border wall near Yuma, Arizona, sparing them from the risky routes through remote desert regions.
5: Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio.
6: Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you
5: subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe and share.
2: Now, if I remember correctly, it was the New York Times that didn't want a border wall. Remember, the New York Times liberals don't want a border wall. And then they're shocked that people are just walking through open spaces in the border wall. And they also say in this piece in the New York Times that friends and family members already in the country, along with smugglers, have assured them that they will not be turned away. And this is proving to be true. They don't understand the intricacies of the U.S. border policy, but they realize that this is a limited time offer to get into the United States free. You know, you spend your life savings to get here, but once you're here, we're going to take care of you. We're going to pay, we're going to, there's groups that are going to give you housing. Taxpayers are paying for housing for a lot of these people. We're going to pay for your medical care. We're going to pay, we're going to educate your children for free. All of this, welcome to America where the streets are paved with gold. And the president is absolutely aiding and abetting this. He is encouraging this and they know that. And it's just insane. But when you have the New York Times reporting this, it is absolutely out in the open. And it's no longer a secret. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum, the host of The Story on Fox News Channel, sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, good morning, Mary Walter, sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. And I'd like to hear from you. All right, well, let's talk a little bit. 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. Let's explore COVID, shall we? Because there's a lot going on about COVID. And and we're, I'm just going to touch on a bunch of different things here. But do you trust the government now when it comes to this? And the reason I, I ask is a poll came out from Edelman Trust, Edelman Trust Barometer, barometer and it was a survey of 16,800 respondents in 14 countries. So it's not just the United States. And they asked, how much do you trust this institution to do what is right 77% of people say they trust their employer. 62% said they trust businesses in general. 58% trust non-governmental organizations. 56% trust government. And 51% trust media. Now, I personally think the numbers for government and me, quote-unquote media overall are um, uh, is, is high. I, that's why you know, I wanted you to know this is from 14 countries, because I think if you ask in the United States, most people will rate trusting my government down in the single digits, maybe 10%. I think Democrats obviously trust the government more now because I think because they're in power, number one. And number two, I think they are more likely to trust the government because government's kind of their god. Right? As we become more like Europe, we become less religious and we become more uh, of an atheistic country. Where do we look? For our problems to be solved We don't pray to God, we don't look to God For guidance, we are more and more Looking to government to solve Our problems, that's why it's the government's Responsibility to make you whole If your house gets hit by a tornado Just as an example, we look to the Government to solve this crisis For COVID, which by the way When it comes to something like this We do have the CDC, we do have Pharmaceutical companies and I think President Trump Did the right thing by pulling Those together and marshalling those Forces in order to get a vaccine out, right? So those are all good things. But overall, do I trust my government? Uh, No. What did Ronald Reagan say? I'm from the government, I'm here to help, were the most dangerous words in the English language. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. He was absolutely right. I personally think that as a country, we do far better the less government is involved in our lives. And, uh, but I'm also one of those people who looks at government and says, hmm, you know what, I'll take my chances. I'll take my chances. You know what, I'll save for my own retirement. You do you. I'll save for my own retirement, and I will succeed or fail based on my own merits. And I will not look to you, government, to take money from someone else to give to me because I screwed up. So when it comes, though, let's, let's talk about COVID. Do you trust the government, what the government is telling you when it comes to covid Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 408 7669 Now, I think part of the reason, if you don't trust the government, I'd like to know why. For me, I don't trust the C- CDC. I do not trust the sainted Dr. Fauci. I don't know who this guy, he came out of nowhere. Uh, he's, do you know he's the highest paid official in the government? He makes more than the president. I mean, that's just crazy. Dr. Fauci's the highest paid one. Why? Uh, he now came out and said yesterday, that we're all going to need coronavirus boosters now. Now you got to have a booster. It's never going to end. And we're going to need it within a year. There are people who haven't even gotten the booster, haven't haven't gotten the actual vaccine yet. Now you're going to line everybody up for a, a booster. I hear that and I'm like, really? Really? Do we really need a booster this soon? Are you telling me I'm going to do this every year? I'm going to have to get a coronavirus vaccine and I'm going to have to get a flu vaccine and you're going to have to get this and you're going to have to get, you're going to spend all your life at the pharmacy just getting needles injected into you. At what point is it too much? So I hear this. And because the CDC has been all over the place, you know, we see Joe, look at the government. You see Joe Biden, the president who's supposed to be leading this country, walking outside with a mask on when we know that's not necessary. The CDC has known for a while that that's not necessary, but they haven't put that information out. They now all of a sudden put that information out, but we've known it forever. The science didn't change. The CDC just changed. You see Joe Biden sitting in a room in the Oval Office with the vice president and four senators. Everybody's vaccinated. And they're all wearing masks. Why? Why? If you tell me that I need to get the virus, I need to get the virus, I need to get the vaccine in order to be safe and be able to live my life. Why are you showing me that you're vaccinated and wearing a mask? 866-408-7669. How much do you trust the government when it comes to this? David, listening on Freedom 970. Hey, David, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
7: Good morning,
5: Mary. How are you?
2: I'm doing just great. Do you trust the government when it comes to COVID messaging?
5: Absolutely not. And the reason why is because they have flip-flopped so many times, especially with that idiot, imbecile Fauci out there. Uh, flip-flopping on masks, on on vaccines, on social distancing. What This is what I see happening. What I see happening is I'm sure that you're familiar with the Great Reset. Okay? Mm-hmm. This is something that's being promoted by the World Economic Forum. And COVID-19 is helping them to fast-track it. And unfortunately, the Marxist, statists in our government are down for the struggle.
2: Yeah, I I think it is definitely about control. Absolutely. This is why, you know, Nancy Pelosi has not lifted the mask requirements on the House floor, which is ridiculous. And you had four uh, GOP members of Congress being fined $500 each because they refused to wear a mask on the House floor. And they said, I'm vaccinated. I don't need to wear one. Now, two of them would not say whether they were vaccinated or not and said and said that's my private medical records i'm not sharing those i'm not obligated to share my private medical records so they're just going to get fined five hundred dollars a day because they're following the science and it was the democrats who told me i had to follow the science so i agree with you david i think this is about control that's why i don't trust it at all at all david have a great weekend thank you so much do you feel like david does This is about control. I I feel that way, and I and 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 that's really sad. This is about a a pandemic, right? And when you lose trust in the people who are in charge of your safety for the pandemic, that's a very dangerous place to be. And you know, you saw David Hogg. I follow him on Twitter. Sorry. he tweeted out that even though he's vaccinated, he's still going to wear his mask because he doesn't want anyone to think he's a Republican. I was like, uh, OK, well, that's that's just stupid. It's not about keeping people safe anymore. It's about politics and virtue signaling. I personally think that's also the way the government sees it as well. How about you? Uh, Roger listening online in Pennsylvania. Hey, Roger, you're on The Brian Kilmead Show. Good morning. Good morning.
8: Mary, Mary, good. how you doing?
2: Oh, good. How are you?
8: Okay, I had to chime in. I don't trust the government at all. My wife had COVID. I didn't get it. I think because my flu shot and pneumonia shot uh, uh, saved me on that. F- F- Fauci, I call him flip-flop Fauci. And people, if they want to make, don't trust the government. They should go to the 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 Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting site, V A E R. It's offshooted to CDC and enlists all the effects that people have had from this, I call it a killer shot. And that the CDC puts it out, so it's not like some conspiracy theorist. And uh, I think, but now I'm getting pushed back. I'm getting, getting like, uh, uh, shamed because I'm being, I'm not getting vaccinated. I had uh, two friends that, well, you're not, you're not vaccinated, so we're not going to see you anymore. But well, they that- came back. They that doesn't make any
2: sense though. So, hold on, on just a second. That makes no sense because if they are vaccinated, then they're protected. So that doesn't make any sense that they won't see you anymore because you're not vaccinated. And the first thing when people ask me, I say I'm really sorry, but I don't share my medical records with people. And and then I just end the conversation right there and let them figure it out, you know? I mean so, they
8: came back from a plane ride to Florida. I'm I'm sure everybody on the plane wasn't vaccinated.
2: Right. And yeah, and but, but the I people all these
8: vax hypocrites.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love the ones who post their vaccine cards online. I call them the vaccinistas. They're vaccinistas. They have to show you their vaccine card online. Well, Roger, don't let them shame you. Don't let them shame you. You know, you do you. I'm a big fan of you do you. And if you don't think it's safe, then you don't take it. But if you think it's safe, then then you take it. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, Roger. And regarding what he said about side effects from it, I'm just going to tell you because when it comes to the vaccine, because I'm a big fan of make your own choice. I'm not going to sway you either way. You do you. When I did a drug study once for a stomach medication that I absolutely loved and it never made it to market, but I really liked it. But when you, when you're in those trials, you have, if you get a fever, let's say you catch the flu and you have vomiting and, and, and you have a fever. If one person reports that, even if it isn't from the medication, you know, the flu's going around my family and that's how you got it. That will show up in the list of side effects. It will. I mean, if you if you read the list of possible side effects for aspirin, you will never take another aspirin in your life. So just know that when you hear these stories about side effects, that anyone who had any kind of adverse reaction, you know, someone had a stroke. Well, they would have had that stroke anyway. You don't know that. But if they would have had that stroke anyway, it's going to be listed there in the side effects. So just take all that into consideration when you make your decision of what you are going to do. 866 um, 408 Do you trust the government? when it comes to COVID and to be able to guide you in the right way to make a smart decision when it comes to taking your mask off, when it comes to getting uh, together with family and friends, when it comes to whether to get the vaccine or not. And I've got some news for you on kids and COVID and what the government may or may not have done. All right, get your calls coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Educating entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian
0: Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more
1: you listen... The more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. What are the possibilities?
2: Certainly, the possibilities of that most coronaviruses that we know of are of origin from that have infected the population, SARS CoV 1. Um, MERS uh, generally come from an animal origin. Um, and are there um, any other possibilities? Certainly, a lab based origin is one possibility. Okay, so that was Dr. Rochelle Walensky in an exchange with Senator John Kennedy when they were they were probing whether the virus did come from the Wuhan lab and it was a leak. And what do we keep hearing? No, 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 wet market. We had a group of people who went and we inspected. Okay, sure you did. And uh, we find out that one of the guys on that inspection team, you know, is is paid and makes money uh, to conduct experiments at the Wuhan lab. So there was all there were all sorts of conflicts of interest uh, in in the group. And of course, they're not going to show you everything. We're trusting the Chinese to show us exactly, you know, the lab when when they take a tour of it. And we all know that the Chinese are less than forthcoming. Here's something else. This is the sainted Dr. Fauci uh, at a speaking at an event that was sponsored by Axios. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Hold on. I was wrong. This is Dr. Nicole Saffir. Now, you would notice that she was not the sainted Dr. Fauci because they sound nothing alike. Um, <laughs> This is something that just came out and she was on Fox and Friends this morning talking about children and COVID hospitalizations and what we're now finding about the statistics that they've been telling us all along about kids and COVID. This new
9: study out of Stanford may tell us that even our perceived low risk of severity in children is likely even lower than that. This data came out. They retrospectively looked at about 265 patient charts of children who were hospitalized and listed as a COVID hospitalization. Well, the data showed about 46% of those children were likely admitted to that hospital with had nothing to do with the fact that they were positive for SARS-CoV-2. Now that hospitals are universally testing for the virus when people come into the hospital, They're finding those infections to be incidental. And about 40 to 45 percent of those children were asymptomatic. So they just tested positive for the virus.
2: Now I want to tell you this is not just with kids. So we've overcounted, it looks like kids who have been hospitalized with COVID and the difference is here's the thing and this started in New York and then New Jersey followed suit and so did a bunch of other states because they wanted to juice the numbers of people who died from COVID, right? They wanted to juice the numbers because they figure, oh, we can put our hand out and we can get more money then because look at how hard our hard hit our state was and that's exactly what's happening with some of these bills be- for trillions and trillions of dollars being passed in Congress there's a difference between dying from COVID and dying with COVID. So what happened with these kids, because they are so much less likely than adults to show any kind of symptoms at all. My niece had it in college. Um, All her friends had it. They all tested positive. None of them were sick, though, but they all had to be tested for for school. And uh, they all they 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 all had the antibodies and none of them were sick. So when kids were in the hospital, and they did this with adults as well in some of these states, they if you died of stage four cancer, but you tested positive for COVID, they put COVID on your death certificate. You didn't die of COVID. You died because you had end stage cancer. So you were going to die whether you had COVID or not. And that's what we're finding out is happening with kids, and now they're just admitting it. But this has been going on for a while, and you've heard people talk about this. Let's go to Brian calling uh, from Long Island, listening on WRCN. Brian, how you doing? You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: Good, Mary. Um, yeah, they're, they're going right from their playbook. I mean, it's, it's, it's manipulation of the populace through fear. I mean, the inflating these numbers makes sense to them because it makes the virus scarier, and, and then it makes it easier for them to get more power. I mean, they've weaponized the IRS against conservatives. They've basically uh, taken over our FBI. I mean, the FBI is a joke. I mean, I mean, FBI was was the the, the leading investigative group in, in the world, and then now you have these things going go on with the last administration. No one has any answers. I, we don't know. We didn't look into it. I mean, it's a joke, and that's what it is. It's a power grab. They, they want to, you know. I mean, it, it's, it's global warming. You know, you got to be scared of global warming. Oh, you got to be scared of the racist next door. You got to be scared, you know. Oh, COVID. Oh yeah, COVID's gonna get you. COVID's gonna get you, Mary. I mean, it's, it's, it's sickening, and and this country needs to wake up to it, or uh, one day we're gonna wake up and and we're not gonna have any rights. We're not gonna have the freedoms that we enjoy that that our our Great forefathers gave us fighting in, in wars and battles and giving blood for this country, and now people don't want to stand for the flag. They, they kneel and, and 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 they mock it as they make millions and millions of dollars to play some sport. I, I, frankly, I, I'm not, I'm at my wit's end, Mary. I don't know what else to say.
2: And I'm with you. I tweeted this out yesterday when I saw a video uh, alleged. Now, I don't know if this is for sure, but this is there was a video out on Twitter yesterday that allegedly shows diners outside in California. And there were some Jewish diners there and Antifa just ripping them out of their seats and beating the heck out of them because Black Lives Matter. And don't tell me that Black Lives Matter and Antifa aren't connected there, there. In my book, there's some connection there. I do think that Black Lives Matter a lot of these events start out as good events. And then the black shirts come in and they they insert themselves into these Black Lives Matter marches and then they, you know, they go at it. But um, it looks that the black shirts came in and just started beating these people because Black Lives Matter now has um, has pledged their allegiance to the Palestinians and Hamas, which is a terror group. And I said, I don't recognize this country anymore. Americans used to be brave with nothing, nothing, you know, we we feared nothing. We tackled things. And I look at this, where we are now, and I thought, my goodness, how would we ever fight another World War II? Or like, how would that ever happen? We're so afraid. And I just don't recognize this country anymore, to Brian's point. People not standing for the national anthem, just to be thankful and grateful for what you have, I I don't know. I I just don't recognize it, and it's kind of sad.
0: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you
1: opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Well, good morning. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yes, I am Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Joining us now, Kevin Cork, Fox News correspondent from Washington, D.C., from the belly of the beast. Kevin, great to have you.
11: Always a pleasure, my friend. How you doing? I'm
2: doing great. How are you? We haven't talked in a while.
11: Yeah, you know, it's been – well, it's uh, it's summer in Washington, which should tell you three things. One, there will be lots of political strife. Two, we're just about to get to that time of year where it's just like constantly muggy. And three, you just – it's never a dull moment, even in a new administration, which I think, comparatively speaking, is nowhere near as active, at least in terms of coverage, as the Trump administration was. uh, We certainly don't feel that way (laughs) when you're out there every day covering uh, the White House. But I'll tell you this uh, this is the time of year when things start to happen and start to pick up, which makes it interesting.
2: All right. So I have so much to talk to you about when I was like, Oh, we have Kevin. I'm so excited. I I have a stack of things. So if you could just stay for two hours, that would be great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) let, let's start off playing a little game, shall we? Where in the world is Kamala Harris?
11: Boy, that is the $64,000 question. I'll just say it this way. Part of what this strategy is for this White House is don't be tied to convention. So if you think about every other White House you've ever seen or ever had a chance to cover, typically what happens is the president is out there. They're the lead voice on major issues. And then on occasion, they'll send out a secondary or tertiary voice. And the vice president is rarely seen and rarely heard from. But in recent years, and again, I've covered four different uh, White Houses. In recent years, the vice president has had a more active role in being the secondary public face for major public policies. In this particular administration, I think they are saying, to heck with convention, We don't want to put anybody out there in a circumstance where they can either have to answer tough questions about inconsistencies with past statements or past policy positions, and they don't want gaps. If you've followed uh, the vice president, she can be very intense in the right circumstance, but she can also be sort of silly and goofy and have this Mm -hmm. sort of cackling laugh, and they just don't want that. And I think what else is happening is a lot of heavy-duty prep is going on. Uh, people don't like to talk about it in polite company, but I do think uh, if you if you cover this White House, you probably feel like they are making sure that she is fully groomed to assume any and all positions in the future uh, should it come to that. And I think they're being very careful about how much they roll her out.
2: It's so funny you say that, because it's exactly what I was going to say. I was I was going to say something like, you know, come on. Uh, they don't want her to have any kind of record on immigration or anything like that, even though that is what she is allegedly being charged with. Because uh, when she takes over in what I think probably like a year and a half, because if she does two years as president, she can still run for two more terms because you can't do more than 10 years. So she could do two years now, then run in 2024, and then run again. So
11: yeah, I actually talked to uh, a really interesting person who is, I would say, mid level in the administration, not a senior administration person, but I sort of floated a similar idea. And uh, she said something very fascinating. She said, I don't believe they believe that they want to do that. I think they like this idea of easy Joe. Depending on how well he's doing, he could very easily run again and get them over the hump. The the real question becomes, if you have – let me just play this out for you for just a second, and I know we have so much to talk about in so little time. I floated this idea. I said, what if Mike Pompeo runs against Kamala Harris in 2024? That just seems like a pretty fair shot. That could happen if – assuming President uh, Trump – doesn't run again. But let's just play it out. He decides to heck with that. I'm going to relax here in Florida. And it's Pompeo v. Harris. Do you like your chances? And this administration source said, not as much as I would if it was Biden v. Pompeo. And I think part of the thinking is, even though, you know, who knows what's going to happen with uh, President Biden by that point, the thinking is he still gives him a better shot in 2024.
2: Oh, I cannot imagine Joe Biden in 2024. Seriously, they're just going to have to roll him out on a dolly and stand him up. All (laughs) right, let's uh, play. I I was just going to say, let's play another Where Are They? Okay? Uh Uh-huh. Does anybody know where John Durham is?
11: Boy, that's, you know, that is one of the... Remember uh, him?
2: Yeah, remember
11: him? (laughs) That sounds like uh, Harvey... uh, Harvey Levin does this thing, member them on the TMZ. Very funny little bit. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You have to wonder what whatever became of all the investigations. I think if there's one thing I would point to my experience in covering the Trump administration, it's uh, for all the talk about this investigation and, you know, Clapper and Brennan and, and Comey and Clinton and and Durham is, you know, nothing ever happened to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally nothing happened. So, I mean, look, I've I've talked to DOJ people. In fact, I did a report on this. They're still working. Now, if you know any lawyers, they'll tell you, look, justice is slow and the grind continues. But I'm of the opinion at this stage of the game, no matter what comes of whatever they're doing, uh, there's fairly little chance that anything of significance will come from any sort of indictment or any sort of uh, anything that happens to come down even if you want to make the argument that maybe there's criminal charges at foot here, I just don't see it. And I've seen no evidence to suggest otherwise, but I do know this. They are actually still working. They're actually still fully staffed and they actually do have a budget, which is, I think at least something to feel a little bit more hopeful about.
2: Well, I I said to my contractor once, that uh, I said, you know, General Schwarzkopf freed, invaded, and freed a country in less time than it took you to get me countertops. So I, I'm not quite sure what's what's happening. Well,
11: it's it's again, it's a DC thing. I think for you and me and normal folks, we 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 look, we want action, right? We're looking for something, anything, and. uh unfortunately, for, for the rest of us, it just seems like an interminably slow process, but they are still working. Do I think something has come of it of significance? No. Prove me wrong, but I don't buy it.
2: Yeah, well, well, now, see, you have just you have just crushed one of my dreams, but that's OK, Kevin. It, uh, you are one of the few people that I will allow to crush my dreams. Uh, gosh. <laughs> All right. So can we talk about the Democrats siding with Hamas? This this has bothered me so much and, and I it, it just it's not the America I know, it's not the America I love. When did this change? It just seems like all of a sudden we just flipped and on the left, Democrats have suddenly decided that siding with a terrorist organization is where we're going to go now.
3: Yeah, it's
11: funny. Uh if you've spent any time on a college campus in the last say 10 years, there's been this really strong push To recalibrate the way that I think Americans in general, uh, and it's obviously filtered into our politics and our policy now, but to recalibrate the way Americans see uh, Israel, especially through the lens of we have always had position A, but what about the poor people who are caught in the middle? This would be Palestinians, whether they be West Bank, Gaza, et cetera. But what's happening now in the Democratic Party is you're seeing there's that same sort of mindset, which is to say— the old conventions of everything Israel does is cool, they're under assault, they're under attack, into now, they are the bad guys. I think that's really filtering into the way a lot of younger people think. I do yeah. think it's generational, and it's fascinating to watch because it's so completely incongruent with uh, longstanding U.S. policy.
2: Yeah, and it it really is frightening when you start to see this anti-Semitism creep into this country. Again, not the America that I grew up in. But then again, I'm a dinosaur, so you know, um, I'm I'm not a big fan of terrorists. So you know, <laughs> hey, boomer.
11: Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me
2: too. Pretty, pretty much where I am at this at this point in life, I guess. Um, with with Democrats siding with Hamas and with terror groups, and it's just, just so interesting to me because you would think that Nancy Pelosi would get some of these people in line, but she and Joe Biden are absolutely allowing the far left socialist wing of the party uh, just the they're allowing the inmates to run the asylum, and I think they are rapidly losing control of the party. I I really do, and I fear that you know we're going to be in the hands of AOC, and honestly, I wouldn't trust her to make a drink for me. So I, I don't know if I would trust her to set policy for the country and, and economics change for a dollar. I think is kind of hard for her. So um, I, I just don't know where we're going to go if these are the people who are going to be in charge of like budgeting and things like that.
11: You're you're on a roll. I love it. I'll I'll just say this: you're right about something that's really important. I want people to listen carefully. If you're not paying attention. To the dramatic shift in the way that some political leaders are viewing Israel and that part of the world, you're really, really going to be at a real problem here, uh, because if we don't rein this in, if we don't recalibrate the way that some people in this country are viewing uh, Israel and our East policies, uh, we could have major seismic, pro- um, seismic problems, including a, an all-out war. And that's not just sort of hyperbole here. I really fear for that mm-hmm. region and I fear for a lot of our friends and
2: allies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but the Abraham Accords so far are holding that the pres that President Trump did negotiate and yes. that's a good thing. That is Thank that goodness. is a good thing. Uh yeah. all right, so two more things I have to get to quickly. Uh President Joe Biden. <laughs> was at the Coast Guard Academy's graduating uh, graduation ceremony for the class of 2021. And he had his, um, I guess, you know, hey, can I get some applause here kind of moment. Here it is.
10: I can only assume that you will enjoy educating your family about how the Coast Guard is, quote, the hard nucleus around the Navy forms in times of war. You are quite, you're a really dull class. <laughs>
4: Come on, man. Is the sun getting to you? I would think you'd have an opportunity when I say that about the Navy to clap. But being here together...
5: Please clap. (laughs)
2: that was jeb bush afterwards remember jeb bush please clap
11: please clap oh look sometimes it's not the joke it's the delivery of the joke i mean let's let's call it for what it is the president botched the joke he didn't he didn't he botched the joke what are you gonna do and then he's like come on man that's like his fallback whenever he feels awkward it's hilarious
2: I always equate because Ronald Reagan made the same joke at, at a Coast Guard graduation, the same joke. And he got, a, you know, everybody loud, he got a round of applause and he got, you know, a lot of shouts out shouting everything. But he delivered the joke properly when exactly. Joe and Joe Biden's come on, man, is when my dad, when I was a kid, would call everybody chief when he forgot their name.
11: <laughs> I have a neighbor. Honest to God, he he still calls me Buddy. Like I've, I've lived around <laughs> you for years. I don't. Think, I honestly don't think he knows my name. I mean, he hasn't <laughs> called me like Nipsey or or you know something like that Webster. But he just calls
2: me Buddy all the time. Webster Webster Nipsey. Well, that is a good segue into what we're going to talk about next. <laughs> if we're going to go with the stereotypes, um, Chicago yeah. Mayor Lori Lightfoot is just flat out advocating for racism because the only people who should be allowed to interview her, the only members of the press, should be uh, people of color because she says that the Chicago media is overwhelmingly white and overwhelmingly male. And so she's just advocating for racism to combat that, which is something that she thinks is racism. The world's lost its damn mind, hasn't it?
11: Totally. And I said this to a dear friend yesterday. MLK is rolling over. Poor, poor MLK. And, and I feel so bad for people like my mom, God rest her soul, who spent a lifetime trying to instill in me that you don't see the color. You just see the person, okay? And I'm look, I'm no idiot. I get it. There's been injustice for decades, centuries. I get it. And I do think there are ways to try to help level the playing field for opportunities. But when you start race segregating and and allowing opportunities because of how brown or not brown your parents were, it's outrageous. It is racist. It is racism. And I can't believe this is even legal. I I hope someone will sue because I think this is just disgusting.
2: Yeah. I mean, even though you're Hispanic, I still love you. Hey, there you go. (laughs) Awesome. I, I I just I I don't know. I just sometimes feel so old. Like I don't usually feel old. But I just feel so old when I I realize, like, I can't even, you know, say, you know, point out organizations that are overwhelmingly black, for instance, black people do overwhelmingly, or or Hispanic or Asian, because I don't think it matters. But I'm so hyper aware of the fact that because I'm white, I can't say that, and it's it's just a really sad place for our country to be at this point in the game. Really, really sad. Uh, Kevin Cork, we got to run, but thank you so much. I love when you join me. Um, I wish again. I wish we could just had two hours with you and we could just sort through everything because I just love your insight and your take. Thank you so much and have a great weekend.
11: You too. Take care.
2: Thanks, Kevin. All right. We've got more coming up and I'm going to want to hear from you as well on the Brian Kilmead show.
1: Come on, man. <laughs>
3: Everybody's laughing.
1: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead. Fox Nation
0: presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
3: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
1: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Another reporter called and said, hey, I'm hearing...
9: They're only talking to black or brown journalists. And I said, but I, I, it doesn't even sound real. And so I reached out to the communications director, Kate Lepergy, and she texted me back and said, yeah, that's that's true. She
2: said, uh, no, white reporters have been uh, in the room for the majority of the year and it's time to hear from other people. Wow, that was Marianne Ahern from WLS in Chicago. Uh, She she is a a reporter there, saying, uh, you know, talking about Lori Lightfoot and this new edict from her, from the Chicago mayor, that um, she's only going to give individual interviews to journalists of color, and she blasted the Chicago media for their overwhelming whiteness and maleness. I want to see a white male. reporter in Chicago say, "Oh, look, I may look like a white guy, but I identify as a person of color and a woman." So, you know, go in dressed like Klinger from MASH, right? And say, "Oh, but I identify as a woman," and then watch her tell you no. Because then she's negating your identity. Why this? Can I just say this before I go to the calls? This is something that drives me crazy about conservatives. You have to learn to play their game. You have to learn to use their words against him. We need a white male reporter in Chicago to say that he identifies as a person of color and go in there in a dress and say, well, I identify as a woman. So there you go. Here you go, Lori Lightfoot. Now tell me that my identity is not a, a, a female of color. Go ahead. Tell me that because that'll be the story that I'm going to report on. you got to hold their feet to the fire. And we just don't do it. There are so many ways to get around these things and make them look ridiculous. And here's the thing. Um, she, Lori Lightfoot sent a two page letter to the media and we're going to do more of this, this coming up. So, so just hang on here for a second. Um, cause I want to give you more time on your calls and I don't have a lot of it now. Um, she, she praised herself because her election broke barriers because she's the first black and first openly gay mayor in Chicago's history. And she's doing a phenomenal job. Um, but she says, she says that there's institutionalized racism in Chicago in the media And this is part of her lifelong battle to fight for diversity and inclusion. Just take that in and just enjoy the hypocrisy. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: I see a lot of unfunny comedians. I see unfunny TV shows. I see unfunny award shows. I see unfunny movies. Because <laughs> no one's... Everybody's scared to, like, you know, make a move. You know? And that's not a place to be. You know? We should have the right to fail. Right. To Because fa- failure... Failure is a part of art. You know what I mean? And right. It's like... It's the ultimate cancel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Uh, but now you know you got a place where people are scared to talk that's not you know especially in america you're scared to talk ah but you know that's what people want you know got to make adjustments
2: that was uh chris rock on the breakfast club and um on on cancel culture and i say this all i say this so often someone gave me a mug and i i say it all the time liberals suck the fun out of everything And they do. I'm convinced that liberals get up in the morning and say, what am I going to be outraged about today? Because everything in their world is an outrage. Everything is based on um, not what is said, but who said it. Is that person white? Because that's the greatest sin you can have. Uh, And then if they're a white male, forget it. If you're a white male, you know what? We're going to put you all on an island somewhere and uh, you're never going to be allowed back in the country, and you're not allowed to say anything, you're not allowed to have an opinion, you're not allowed to do anything. And Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, uh, decides, I'm going to be racist because I think that there are too many black, uh, excuse me, too many white males in uh, the media in Chicago, so I'm only going to give interviews to journalists of color. Like, okay, could we just put white there instead of color? I'm only going to give interviews to people who are white, how does that sound to you? Because if it sounds a little off, like the needle just skipped right across the record there, as it should, it's probably racist. Like, I think that should be the test that if you put the word white in or you put the word male in instead of female and it makes the hair on the back of your neck go out because you're like, oh, well, this is wrong. It's probably racist or misogynist or whatever. Put it in there. And this idea that only white males can, or only white people can be racist and only males can be misogynist this is just ridiculous. All right, some people want to talk about this, and I understand that. 866 408 And coming up, Tucker Carlson talked about this last night and did had an excellent monologue on it, we're going to bring it to you. Uh, Mark in Saratoga, New York. Mark, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning.
7: Thank you. So the Democrats campaigned on be, having unity. Well, when Lori Lightfoot wants to um, only give interviews to uh, people though, who aren't white, that's disunity. And it's a classic example of reverse racism. And so um, I think that, obviously, she needs to be called out on it, and it will only incense, the, basically, people who only want to judge people by their character and it's unfair and it's despicable
2: do me a favor you know we have
7: one race it's a human race right why why are we separating everything between color of skin
2: i agree with everything you said except it's an example of reverse racism that assumes that racism racism is only committed by white people racism, as far as I'm concerned, has no home. Anyone can be racist, right? Look at the attacks that are happening on Asian Americans in New York City. Nobody wants to talk about it, but they're primarily being attacked by people of color. But we're not talking about the perpetrators because if they were white males, we would be talking about the perpetrators. But when you look at the videos where they put the person's face up there, it's usually not a white male. So we no, don't it's talk not. about it's that, black right? Black
5: premise, really, honestly.
2: That's yes. And Mark, you know, you're probably I'm I'm going to go here and stereotype, but you're probably a white man. So why should I listen to anything that you say? Uh, good point. Thank you, <laughs> yeah. Mark. Have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us. All right, let's go to Tucker Carlson here. Uh, Tucker uh, last night was talking on this news from Mayor Lori Lightfoot's office, and they defended all of
12: this basically
2: saying that well it's okay because it's not racist because she's she's
12: black so here's tucker white people are disqualified because they are white not because of anything they have done or said or think laurie lightfoot doesn't care about that she says so lightfoot is not interested in what these white people might be like as individuals as people she doesn't even care what kind of white they are their ancestors could be from italy or luxembourg or finland or spain they could be members of the british royal family They could be penniless Romanian immigrants living in a box on the sidewalk on Michigan Avenue, rich or poor. It doesn't matter to Lori Lightfoot. To Lori Lightfoot, all that matters is the fact they're white because all white people are the same. They are entirely defined by the color of their skin. You can see how this makes life a little easier for Lori Lightfoot. She knows who to hate just by looking at them.
2: Now, they call Tucker a racist. Now, I can't disagree with anything Tucker said there. I was raised, you know, the old-fashioned way, because, again, I'm a dinosaur, but I was raised that you don't judge people by the color of their skin. You judge them based on who they are, just like I don't judge you based on your religion. That's okay as long as you're a good person. You could worship toasters or trees or whatever. I I truly don't care as long as you're not hurting anyone. And you're a good person. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to talk you out of it. That's your thing. You know, God bless you. Keep moving. Yeah, you know, that's that's okay. And the same thing with the color of your skin or, or, or any other characteristic of you. What matters to me is, are you a good person? And are you harming anyone else? If not, carry on. All right, here's more from Tucker.
12: So what is equity? Well, tonight, finally, we know what it is. Equity, it turns out, is racism. It's as simple as that. Equity is racism. And to be clear, we don't mean racism in the sense that ice cream and Shakespeare and math are all now supposedly racist, or that Dr. Seuss is now considered an exalted cyclops in the Ku Klux Klan. We're not talking about the Ilhan Omar Atlantic magazine definition of racism, which, by the way, isn't actually language, but just another blunt political weapon. No, we mean racism in the literal sense, in the way that Martin Luther King defined the term which is the act of hurting some people and helping others purely on the basis of their respective races. Bigotry, in other words, prejudice, hatred. That's what equity is.
2: And think about it. Think what's coming out from this administration. There are loans to farmers who have been hurt by the pandemic, but only farmers of color. White farmers need not apply. You have to prove that you're part of a, of a group, a special group. White farmers get zip, and there are white farmers who are suing over this, as they should. Because you know what? They take taxes from everybody. They'll take your dollar. They don't care what color the the, the, the sender of the check is, the, guy who, the man or woman who signs the bottom of the check to the IRS. They don't care what color that person is. But they're going to take that money, and they're going to distribute it to people based on the color of their skin. And I'm supposed to believe that this is not racist. 866-408-7669. Scott in Lexington, Kentucky. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning.
6: Hello, Mary. Um, You know, she's not allowing them to enter that building. Is it a government building?
2: Uh, Yeah, I would believe it is a government building. That's an excellent point.
6: So... You know the other thing that's a serious seems like a serious matter because they have, um, you know, in a workplace you could never do that to somebody. And then and, you know, like we have that all the time with government uh, employees, which are police. That you know their interaction with people. I call them different groups. I'm, I'm getting tired of using the other anonyms I've used all my life. I like to call people that are here at the beginning of the country Group One, and that were from the Western world as Group One, and then people that were brought from Know, that did farming work are group two i hope that it's not too ridiculous you know in the early part of the country they were brought here group two so group one you and i and then uh so she's ruling out people of group two they can't come in they're actually keeping them out of the room
2: well, here's the thing. They have the right to go into the building. They have the right to, to go into you know, City Hall. She's not borrowing them from City Hall. She's not going to talk to them. And she's saying, I'm not going to talk to you based on the color of your skin. And, you know, well, listen, my grandparents didn't come to this country until the 1930s. So when we talk about, you know, all this stuff with, you know, white people paying reparations, I'm out. My my grandparents didn't own slaves. My grandparents didn't get here until, until the 30s. They were fleeing Nazi Germany. So, you know, I, I'm out on all of that. So I don't really fall into any of those groups, but I understand what, what you're talking about, Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. Um, I, I don't like the idea of putting people into groups, and I, I get what he's saying, but I just think that conservatives need to fight the, fight Democrats and fight progressives. Using their tools and using the rules that they have laid out for us, and for whatever reason, we're all falling in line with. We're even adopting their language. We can't say illegal alien anymore. Now we have to say undocumented migrant. They're not migrants. They're, they're not migrants. Migrants, there's a way to migrate here legally. They're not following any of those rules. So, but we, we adopt their language. And there's times when I hear people talk like somebody comes out as cisgendered or what. I'm like, I don't even understand what the majority of the words in that sentence mean. I have no idea what you're coming out as because I don't know what any of this means. But I'm supposed to adopt my language to pretend that they're sane. This is insane and racist. And, and pretending that it's not, to me, just perpetuates more racism. All right, more coming up on Lori Lightfoot and woke culture. And if you want to comment, 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: You can never be woke enough. That's the problem. It keeps going it keeps going further and further and further down the line. And if you get to the point where you capitulate, where you agree to all these demands, it will eventually get to straight white men are not allowed to talk. Right. Because it's your privilege to express yourself when other people of color have been silenced throughout history. We just gotta be nice to each other, man. And there's a lot of people that are taking advantage of this weirdness in our culture, and then that becomes their thing. Their thing is calling people out for their privilege, calling people out for their position. You know, it's uh, crazy times.
2: Joe Rogan on woke culture. And this is all because of uh, Lori Lightfoot, Chicago's mayor, just being flat out racist. And saying, well, I'm not going to talk to uh, a reporter who isn't of color, a reporter of color. There's too many white reporters in Chicago. So you know what? If you're not of color, I'm not talking to you. And she put out a two-page letter to the media um, advocating for this. Uh, she said that the city's leadership is diverse. They have a majority black and Lat- Latin- Latinx. Latin I don't even know. What- Again, that's a word. I don't know what that is. And I can't waste the memory space I have because there's not a lot left to figure out what that even means. Um, she says it's unacceptable that reporters covering city hall were mostly white because he, what we're getting into is that only a white per, a white person can only interview a white politician. But then if a white politician says, "Well, I'm only going inter- to you know give interviews to white reporters," they're racist. But It's okay for a black mayor to say, well, I'm only going to talk to reporters of color because only they can understand me. Like they're the only ones who get me. And then you're going to get to, well, only black teachers can teach black children because they're the only ones who understand them. White teachers can't teach children of color, but they're going to be allowed to also teach white children as well because if not, then it's racist. And it's crazy. These weird rules that are just being made by crazy people. A little bit more. I just want to go one more piece from Tucker last night. This is Raymond Lopez. He's a Chicago alderman. He is a Democrat talking about the policy that Lori Lightfoot has instituted.
13: To put it quite bluntly, you know, she's very incompetent, and it shows. She has failed the city for the last two years. Her abrasive style has been seen not only with the media, not only with members of the city council or even her own departments, but now she's trying to pit communities and people of the city against each other with these kind of discussions. Meanwhile, just on my way to the studio, I've had two shootings in my ward alone in the last hour. Shootings continue in every neighborhood on Michigan Avenue. Yesterday, someone was shot, another carjacking. None of that one is part of the discussion, except for the racist whiteness of Chicago media.
2: If she's losing the Democrats in her city, she's got a problem. And this is what they go to to deflect, right? We're all talking about... This story and the racism. We're not talking about what's happening with the shootings in that city. Let's quickly go to Daniel in Orlando, Florida, listening on WDBO. Daniel, you're on the Brian Kilmead Show. Hi.
7: Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. I was told, the concern I had about I really believe that no matter what occupation or what uh, anybody is in, we always want the best. It doesn't matter what color they are, we want the best. Um, so, why are the football people who are uh, you know the, all these sports teams starting to go woke, why are they still predominantly uh, colored, even um, they may be the best in that sport, but should we have a race ratio of white people also in that
5: sport? Could...
2: Right, so what you're saying is that some of, some of these sports friends at the NBA, mostly players of color, right? Sure. Yep. And and I'm OK. I'm a big fan like you. I don't care what color you are. If I'm paying you to make money for me uh, in a sports team, I want the man or woman who can do the job the best. I truly don't exactly. want to have X number of this color, X number of this color. And then I'm not going to have enough of this ethnic group. And this you you wind up with mediocrity and nobody's any good. It's like a, have you seen the movie Idiocracy, Daniel? no okay you have to I'm telling everyone you have to watch the movie idiocracy it's got one of the um the what is it um Wilson brothers I think it's I think it's Owen Wilson's in this movie Maya Rudolph is in this movie it's probably about eight years old and it absolutely predicted all of this and the dumbing down of society you're gonna watch it and think it was you know a play written by Nostradamus seeing into the future it's and it's funny but now it's not funny now it's like a horror show because we you you watch this you're like oh my gosh we're here we're one well, step so away it, this fun- is exactly where we are
7: and so it's frightening throwing all the stuff in our throat but yet they, we got to play by their own rules
2: yes and the rules change every day as they see fit in order to exclude more and more people. Uh, Daniel, thank you for joining me and, and have a great weekend. There's one thing I see here that's hopeful. I have a little bit of hope and let me share my hope with you. All right, because we all need a little hope. My hope is that they eventually start to cannibalize themselves. And that's slowly starting when you see, for instance, you know, women, 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 it's all about women's rights, women's rights until a man comes along who's a weightlifter and says, I identify as a woman. And he grows his hair out and puts lipstick on and starts entering women's competitions. Now. The women are getting pushed off, you know, the pyramid of victimhood that they have on the left and, and the more of a victim you are, the more power you get, right? So now they're kicking women off the pyramid. Now it's men dressed as women who are more or more valuable and more of a victim than women are. So they don't have any use for women anymore. So you're starting to see the groups fight each other on the left. And I have to tell you, it brings joy to my heart. So maybe that's a little uh, hope for you. Very quickly, Leanne in Panama City, Florida, less than a minute. Hi, Leanne
9: hey, I just want to say that anybody that participates in this woke uh, racism that they're planned is um, no better than the people that inflicted slavery on other people. I mean, really, you can't slice it any way. You're either going to be the person that's going to go for it because it's our time, your time, whatever, you deserve it, or you're going to be the person that realizes if I go along with any of it, I'm no better than those people
2: Yeah, but Leanne, I got to go. But that's the point of it. We're going to fight racism with racism. We're going to even the score. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade.
4: With
0: Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Yes, Mary Walter's sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today and so happy to do it. Let's talk about your safety, and, and I think safety has really become paramount in a lot of people's minds, especially after the summer of love that we had this past summer where people who were dining out were being assaulted, and uh, we saw it in Louisville, Kentucky over Derby weekend where um, I think it was a Black Lives Matter group uh, uh, came down on this group of diners outside, and they just you know descended, and some of them had weapons, and an armed citizen stood up and said, okay, I'm armed too, and it was a little bit of a standoff, and luckily, those BLM Antifa people, you know, walked away and it was de-escalated. So I I think people are constantly thinking about their safety now after we've seen what's happened in our big cities. Joining us is Spencer Corson. He is uh, one of the world's top experts in threat management. He has developed security plans for celebrities, sports stars, corporate executives, and now he's sharing that with us. He has a new book out called The Safety Trap, A Security Expert's Secrets for Staying Safe in a Dangerous World. Uh, Thank you so much, Spencer Corson, for joining us. This is so important. Thank you.
5: Mary, thank you so much for having me on. A pleasure to be here.
2: There's so many there I there are, I have so many questions written for you so many things that I want to talk to you about let me just get to it First of all the safety trap right there those two words don't go together so tell me what a safety trap is
5: Sure so the safety trap is the name of the book and that is a a phrase I coined a few years ago when helping my clients to understand the false sense of security which occurs when our fears have abated but our risk remains In other words, why sometimes feeling safe is the most dangerous thing we do, because when our vigilance goes down, our risk goes up. And when that happens, we really are uh, most at risk of falling into those pitfalls of danger.
2: So I think when I think about this, I think of the old, you know, mom's got a kid in the grocery cart. She's got her purse on there. She's she's gonna take the kid, put the kid in the car. She's not paying attention to the the shopping cart with her bag, but she thinks she's safe because she's in a parking lot. There's a lot of people going by. You're just doing your shopping. Is that one of the, like is that right, an absolutely. idea of a safety trap? So, yeah, that-
5: Yeah, so that's actually what we call the safety trap of expectations because let's say you're walking, you know, you show up at your favorite super center and you see the signs that say, hey, you know, this area under 24-hour surveillance, and you yeah. look up and you see the domes, and then you walk inside and you see the security guard, and you say, you see, like, at the exit row, they have, the, you know, the anti-theft voices, and then you look inside and you see all the domes up ahead, and you're like, wow, this place, like, really takes their security very seriously, and so you allow your vigilance to go down again, and then something happens, and you're like, wait, I don't understand how this happened. Because the expectation was was that all of those security features were there for you, and in reality, those features were there to protect the products. They were there for the managers to monitor the, the effectiveness of their employees. They were there for quality control and, and loss prevention. They were not there for your personal safety. Now, to the extent that those safeguards can be employed uh, to help investigators, you know, prosecute a crime after it has occurred, they will absolutely do that. But to think that the security camera that you have on you know the ring camera you have on your front door is there to protect the mailman would be a false equivalent that camera is there to protect you and so you can't ex- just like the okay. mailman can't expect the camera on your house to protect him you can't expect the cameras somewhere else to protect you so when you see okay. those security features just kind of treat it like a like a bodyguard walking next to a celebrity yes security is present but that doesn't mean you are safer
2: that, that's a very good analogy. I never thought of it that way. You, you know, before I go into this more with you, one of the thoughts I had as I, as I was reading this was was, um, you know, and I talked about the summer of love, as they told us it was the summer of love. Don't worry, you have nothing to fear. It's fine. We have had firearm sales have just exploded. I mean, just exploded. More and more people um, arming, learning how to use firearms. And you saw a lot of people of color learning how to use firearms and learning how to use them safely. And that was a big story, especially women as well, is that necessarily the best way to protect your, yourself and your family?
5: No, in fact, it's it's arguably one of the worst ways to protect yourself and your family. The most people who purchase firearms they engage in you know some kind of like safety training or familiarization training, but you know that's familiarization is is not training. Um, you know, soldiers you know fire probably upwards of a thousand rounds a month through through their weapon systems they're intimately familiar and they are they're inoculated under stress and under adverse conditions in how to engage that that weapon system under you know those those highly stressful conditions but to expect the everyday citizen to be able to you know, effectively engage a firearm in a self-defense maneuver would be to or the number one argument against that would be to watch the everyday citizen try to take a selfie of a celebrity using their cell phone because, you know, all of us are very familiar with our phones. We use them all the time. We can, you know, take a picture of our breakfast with pinpoint precision. But you know, have Taylor Swift walk into the room, and all of a sudden, you know, the, we we can't we can't focus. We can't get our, our fingers to work because it's one thing to operate, you know, under an ideal setting, under you know perfect conditions. But once you enter fear or excitement or adrenaline, there's a devastating decrescendo in our skill set.
2: And that, that does make a lot of sense. It's so interesting. One of the things, and again, like I said, there were so many things I wanted to delve into you here, but there's not. we don't have enough time. So if you're interested in this, and I think it is something everyone should be be reading and, and looking at, because there are so many aspects of this book that I thought, wow, I never thought of that. It's called The Safety Trap uh, by Spencer Corson. One of the things you address in here, which I thought was so basic things that people can do, you don't have to own a firearm, but just basics at basic aspects of safety that I never thought of, which was like, Hey, does your spare tire in your car have air in it? Like just simple things like that. My latest car doesn't even have a spare tire. Like you just have to sit and wait for somebody to come get you. So what do you do?
5: Right. So, so yes, yeah. so it's one of those things where listen, like we can no longer afford to live in a world where we simply hope that nothing will happen. And then solely rely on the first responders to save us once something does. And that that goes from everything from, like, an active shooter situation to a, to home security to, you know, the, the spare tire in our car. It is our responsibility to inspect what we expect, to to have checked that the spare tire is inflated with air and not just expect it to be inflated with air when we need it most. So the more we can, you know, audit ourselves with honesty to, you know, you know, awareness plus preparation equals safety because the, the more aware we are of the most realistic risks we are most likely to face, the more prepared we can be to put those safeguards in place to prevent that risk from ever becoming a reality.
2: Yeah, it's so interesting because we think, I think for most of us now, because of what we saw over the summer and how crazy it was and people, you know, fleeing the cities to the suburbs and they say, well, I'll be safe in the suburbs. It's not necessarily about Antifa marching down your street there or, or, or assaulting you when you're dining out somewhere. There are aspects every single day that we don't even think about. Uh, and, and that's, that's what I found so helpful in, in this book, you know, things like being skilled in first aid or CPR, cause you never know, like you could, it could just be an accident. It doesn't have to be a shooting. It could be a car accident and you're standing there and you don't know how to give somebody CPR. These are, and it could be your kid. It could be a family member.
5: Absolutely. One, one of the things I realized, um, you know, the, 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 tragedy at Sandy Hook was a, was a big turning point for me in my professional career, because what I realized in that moment, you know, both of my parents were teachers, is that not everyone will know the luxury of having their own protective detail, but every single one of us deserves to be protected. So when I started my firm, I really did it so that I could, you know, provide the skill sets that up until that time were reserved for the top 1% and make them readily available to everyone. And this book is a continuation of that mindset. This book I take here are the real world risk you're most likely to face. Here's what happened, here's how it was allowed to happen, here's what you can do to keep it from happening to you. This book is a, a come, you know, come for the story but stay for the lesson resource guide that really serves as you know, a mentorship in mastering the strategies that can help to keep you and your loved ones protected. Just with very simple, practical, realistic, easily digestible, very readily employable Protective strategies to ensure the certainty of safety for everyone involved.
2: So, how how have the threats changed over time? Like, let's say in like the last ten years, how have the threats to an everyday family changed?
5: Well, one is uh, the advent of social media. We 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 have a tendency to overshare so much information oh, that's
2: so online.
5: True. Yes, the I mean the everyday. I think the everyday citizen, like whenever I do just an open source intelligence, you know, sweep on the amount of information that's out there, like they, uh, the everyday citizen would just be shocked at how much personal information they share in a six-month span, from when their birthday is, their dog's name, the street they grew up on, which are questions that are most often asked for, you know, challenge password reset, uh, you know, uh, certifications. Yes, but not only yeah. that, but just you know, the, the you, you're posting what you bought your house. You're basically just like, you know, if I see your front door, do I see an alarm panel? You're basically just, you know, remember how like when the MTV used to have that like cribs TV show? Yes. They had to start like making those sets because they were just basically giving bad guys like a tour of the home, you know, of like, Oh, well, okay. I'm going to come in this door and okay. I can go out that window and I'm going to steal that TV and that's where the safe is. Okay, great. So the reason, you know, just posting the stuff online is not going to be the reason you get targeted. But all the stuff you post online will make those who want to target you more successful. So what I always recommend is just audit yourself. You know, every time you do a financial review, do a social media review because just because you posted something once and it was relevant in the moment doesn't mean it needs to be online in perpetuity
1: forever.
2: That And that's, an, I think that it's so true. And especially with our kids being online and watching what our kids share online, because I think kids overshare, they want to, you know, like, hey, look what I got, you know, p- pictures of their bedrooms, that kind of stuff. And you don't realize that there are people out there who want to do your kids harm. And so you have to be really careful no, that, that, as a was, parent. Yeah,
5: it was, And that was exacerbated during quarantine when we were all isolated. Sure. Where the only way we could communicate was online.
2: Yeah. One of the things uh, I find, when, as, as, again, that prompted me, and I wrote so many notes here, putting your kids' names on their clothing. So, you, you know, you see, especially with, like little kids, and, and so a stranger calls their name, they're just reading it off their hat or their shirt or their backpack or whatever. The kids think they know them, and that's a great way to have your kid, you know, talk to a stranger when that's the last thing you want them doing.
5: Right. Children, children don't understand the concept of nuance. What they understand is, you know, this feeling that I have, whether that feeling is I, I, I don't feel right about this guy or I do feel right about this guy. And so when you have parents talking about like stranger danger, it, it can be a slippery slope. So what I, always, what I always recommend is like stranger danger is a one-way street. While it is perfectly acceptable for a child who's alone or afraid or worried or concerned to go to an adult for help, it is wildly inappropriate for an adult to ask a child for help. And so, if a child is alone and afraid or fearful and doesn't know who is a safe person to ask, I think the three Fs of family, food, and flags are a great takeaway. Because if there's a flag on a uniform or in front of a building or on someone's you know you know clothing, that's probably someone that they can trust. If they see food being sold, like whether that be the ice cream stand or the you know the You know, the the restaurant, those people have been, you know, permitted with background checks, and those are good people to ask for help. And then also, if you see families, anyone else who is out there with small children, those are perfectly acceptable people to help. What we want to do is unburden our children with the, you know, the anxiety and the fear that the world is out to get them and empower them with the life-saving strategies they can carry with them for the rest of their life.
2: Yeah, I want I don't want to give too much away because I do think there is so much valuable in this book. And one of the things, if you are a parent, since they're talking about kids and how to teach them to run to a restaurant, never thought about that. I think that's a wonderful, even as an adult, if you're in trouble, you go to a restaurant, there's going to be people and you just said food and water and, and, and a hardwired telephone and all those things. Um, but... When it comes to your children, you know, knowing your neighbors, there's a lot in here about about how to protect your kids and how to teach them certain things, like knowing the neighbors, knowing a neighbor's home that they can run to if they need to run to a neighbor's home. And, and also, there's, there's just a lot of really good tips about keeping your family safe and how to keep your children safe, but give them freedom and, and how you can overprotect your kids and you kind of cripple them by overprotecting them. And you make them unprepared for keeping themselves safe in the real world. So you have guidance on how to allow your kids freedom. And how to do it safely. Because I do think too many kids are overprotected. When we were kids, again, because I'm ancient. My parents would be like, okay, get out of the house. And don't come home until the street lights are on. And we had one street light only at the corners. Or until the front porch light was on. And we'd be gone for eight hours. We'd be in the woods. We'd be all over the place. But we knew how to be safe. Because our parents, you know, did that for us. So that's in here as well. And I don't want to give away too much of it. Because I do uh, think there's so so much useful in this book. So you want to check it out. The Safety trap a security experts secrets for staying safe in a dangerous world by Spencer Corson. It is on sale now. And if you want to have a safe family, I think this is a really great book to have Spencer Corson. Thank you for joining me.
13: Mary,
5: thank
1: you so much. I really appreciate you.
2: Absolutely. Have a great weekend. More coming up on the Brian Kilmeade show.
1: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News
0: Podcasts Network, I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of the Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
7: Thank you for joining us here in uh, sunny Southern California, where we're still wearing masks, no matter what the CDC says, and we'll apparently continue to do so for at least another month. If you're vaccinated and you're indoors, you don't need to wear a mask. But you do have to wear a mask until June 15th, at which point you don't have to wear a mask unless you want to. That is, if you're vaccinated, unless you're on a plane, train, or bus, in which case you uh, both need to and have to wear a mask, whether you're vaccinated or not.
2: Jimmy Kimmel uh, mocking uh, California's mask mandate, and it's not just California, and it's just ridiculous that it varies from state to state, right? It's just ridiculous. Um, So let's talk about all of this, all right? 866-408-7669. Are you comfortable? I'm not going to ask you whether you're vaccinated or not, because I just wouldn't ask you about any other medical conditions, Right. Like, I, I just wouldn't ask that question. So I don't understand why people think it's okay to start every conversation with. So are you vaccinated? Like, well, Stop it. Measles is far more, uh, far more contagious than COVID. Have you had a measles booster? You know, if you got your measles vaccine during a certain point in time, they were nah, not so effective. I should know because I got the measles vaccine and the measles. So, um, Yay me! But, um, ha, you know, have you got your measles booster yet? Are you getting a shingle shot? Who, who asks these questions? And, and everybody feels this that it's their right to just ask you if you don't answer. They just don't want well, you're not vaccinated. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Do you have any friends like that? Do you know people? I have a friend who was uninvited from a luncheon because word got out that they weren't vaccinated. Uh, their, she and her husband chose not to get vaccinated. So they got uninvited. From a luncheon. Like it's crazy town. So do you know people like this who, even though they're vaccinated, they still refuse to believe that they can be around people who are unvaccinated because, well, you know, it's not a hundred percent effective. Well, okay, nothing in life your seat belts not a hundred percent effective in making sure you don't die in a car accident, but yet you probably drive every single day. 866-408-7669. And let's talk about what you trust and what you don't trust and what you're capable of doing. A new pullout, and this is only vaccinated people asking people, are you comfortable dining at a restaurant if you've been vaccinated? Only 67% said yes. That's over 30% that still aren't comfortable doing that. Only 54% are comfortable socializing in public spaces after they've been vaccinated so what are you comfortable doing what are you comfortable not doing and do you know those people who don't want to have anything to do with friends who are not vaccinated your call's coming up on the brian kilmeade show
0: new from the fox news podcasts network
2: my name is kennedy and welcome to my podcast which will i humbly say single-handedly save the world
0: you're welcome it's kennedy saves the world subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. talk show that's getting you talking you're with
1: brian kilmeade
2: I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade this morning. 866-408-7669 is the number. 866-408-7669. Just talking about, um, you know, we, we had a safety expert on in just about half an hour ago. And people are really concerned about their safety, obviously. And, and it plays into the whole COVID thing as well. Because I know people who I just don't think are ever going to feel safe again. They will wear a mask till the day they die. They will cut off friendships with people who have not been vaccinated and they will demand to know your vaccination history because they think they have a right to know your vaccination history because they're keeping them safe. It's not about you. It's about them. There are so many things in this world that, um, you know, can can kill you, <laughs> you know, stairs in your house can kill you. There, there's there's a lot of things that can definitely go wrong. So uh, I'm just curious um, if you know people like this and uh, how do you deal with them, number one. And if you have been vaccinated, what's your comfort level? Uh, Are you comfortable? And if you haven't been comfortable, are you are you? If you haven't been vaccinated, are you comfortable dining at a restaurant? This poll was done by Morning Consult, and this, they only asked vaccinated people. But it's only averaged out to about 45% of vaccinated adults say they're comfortable with most leisure and lifestyle activities. Only 45% going to a religious gathering. Only 39% are comfortable with that. Now, that doesn't say that they went to religious gatherings before. They may not have gone before. Flying on an airplane, only 38 percent, only 38 percent of people who have been vaccinated say they're comfortable going to the movies. Really? It's just weird to me. Like, for instance, I did not know in my state that we were supposed to be wearing masks outside. I had no clue. I, I honestly got I hand to God, didn't know that. So my husband and I walk, you know, last year in the summer, we're walking. We're not wearing masks anywhere. I'm like, why are all these people wearing masks? <laughs> we had no clue. I was like, wait, we were supposed to be wearing masks? Oops, missed that one. But there were a lot of people who weren't and i think that's just because the messaging has been so chaotic and so mixed you see pictures uh, just last week of the president and vice president who have both been vaccinated for months wearing masks in the oval office with four members of congress who have been vaccinated and are sitting there wearing masks as well so how i, I don't the messaging has been so mixed that i think people are afraid because of that I'm just, I I just have thrown the talent and said, uh, whatever, I have no idea what the rules are. 866-408-7669 in LAPJ. Good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi.
13: Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Um, Yeah, I wanted to, you know, kind of throw, I would say a couple of things. I am a Republican. Uh, I did get vaccinated, but going kind of back to your conversation is uh, I do not feel I would say comfortable still being in public around a lot of people and uh, not wearing my mask because due to the matter of fact that a lot of people just say that they got the vaccine just because they don't want to wear their mask. Uh, yeah, and I just kind of don't feel unsafe uh, safe uh, being at a crowded place uh, with people without a mask, And also my family members, uh, you know, or a lot of people that I know also, all they want to do, I just get texts constantly, hey, did you get vaccinated? What did you get? Where did you go? And it's just the most annoying thing that you hear when, you know, when I just see this kind of stuff.
2: Now, have you, you've been vaccinated, but you're not comfortable being in large groups?
13: Correct. Just because, of a matter of fact, that a lot of people do lie about it just because they want to take off their mask. Sure. Um, because they're more comfortable. So, yeah, I, I still don't feel comfortable doing that. So, but things. let
2: me ask, why don't you feel comfortable? Because you get vaccinated to protect yourself. Right. So, just
13: because, um... I don't feel comfortable because I don't know the other people and I don't know how my right, body But, but is regardless be of whether
2: they've been vaccinated they have... or not the fact the point is you get vaccinated to protect you so that you will be protected should someone around you have covid you have the vaccine mm-hmm. so you will be protected so right, and and even if... though you can still get it even though I realize there's 10% that's not effective the idea of it is is that the, if you do get it you will either be asymptomatic or have a very light case of the virus
13: Right. I I get where you come from, but it's still the fact of, uh, you know, comfortness that I just don't get that 100% Mm -hmm. from other people uh, just because I don't know how my body is going to react based on whatever they have. You know what I mean? It it could not be COVID. It could be something else that I'm going to get from them Uh, or, or, you know, any other issues that they have in the system because we just simply don't know what people are or what they have inside their system.
2: Well, I I hope for your sake, and thank you for being honest, PJ, I hope for your sake that um, you slowly move past that, because otherwise you're going to spend your life inside. You're never going to be together in a large group again, because you're right, it could be measles that they're not vaccinated against. We have people pouring across our southern border who aren't being COVID tested, not being tested for anything, that are pouring across our southern border from 160 different countries. And we have no more border. We have no clue if these people have have COVID, have measles, have tuberculosis. We have no idea. Smallpox, you don't know. We could see some of these these diseases coming back into our country because of, of this open border policy that we have with tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, who am I kidding, coming across our border. And so, you know... I kind of hope you, you can get over that and move on. I really do. Let's head to New Jersey and Leslie on WABC. Leslie, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi.
9: Hi. How are you? Thank you so much for uh, taking my call as well. Sure. Um, I'm a nurse, and I've been in the field during this whole COVID craziness. None of us asked to go into a battlefield or a war zone, and here we are. And the thing that gets me is what's the, what's the number one way to stop the spread of infection? I'm asking. Oh, you know. I,
2: I would I would guess a vaccine is the answer, right? It's actually hand washing. There you go. Nursing 101 is hand washing.
9: As a matter of fact, the very first skill you have to learn in Skilled Labs to become a nurse is hand washing. And the, the, the nurse ratchets are standing over you with the clipboard watching you wash your hands, <laughs> making sure you're doing it appropriately, or you can fail out of nursing school. Hand-washing is the number one way to stop the spread of infection. But yet they have us believing that it's masks, masks, masks. Why are we not talking about hand-washing? Why are there not hand sanitizers at every doorknob? Why are we not taking away fomites, which is like a doorknob that that breeds and and passes on infection? Why do we not have ways to open doors with our feet and not our hands, less hand-touching? That's the number one. Why are we not focused on that and if they're really care about us that's
2: what they'd be saying wash your
9: hands
2: before a mask period my husband works in a um an icu he runs an icu in new jersey and so you know you know being a nurse in new jersey it was the tip of the spear back in march of last year remember what it was like i'm sure you do you'll always remember that and they did a his hospital group they tested Everyone who would come in contact with a COVID patient on those COVID floors, the people who clean, the director, anyone who was on those floors, nurses, doctors, aides, everybody, to see if anybody had the antibodies, to see if anybody had, because I got tested every day before they went in to see if they were COVID positive, but to see if anybody had the antibodies and maybe was, was not symptomatic. And they found one person out of everybody who works in that hospital who comes in contact with COVID patients, one, and her husband had COVID. She was never symptomatic. One, and so it just goes to prove your point. This was before they had the vaccine, so it goes to Correct. prove that the PPE and the washing of the hands and the taking of those precautions works and it's simple it's it simple.
9: is and you know Trump Trump did start saying it when it first came out when it first happened and he was saying hand washing, but that went away. And it tr- because I really, truly think it's just this propaganda of fear, and they got us exactly where they want us because everybody is scared. Nobody knows what to do. You know, Moderna—they put the Moderna vaccine out. I don't know if anybody read the little specs on it, but they only tested twenty-eight thousand people. There was only twenty-eight thousand people given the vaccine before they sent it out to the masses. Fourteen thousand people got the vaccine. Fourteen thousand people got a placebo. Like people re- really need to do more research and education from both sides, so we can come up with a better plan and make better decisions for our own selves.
2: I, I I'm all about making your own decision, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, before I, I just want to throw this in here because I think this plays into this and the number is eight, six, six, four, zero, eight, seven, six, six, nine. This, I think, plays into what we're discussing here, how some people are never going to be OK with going back out again because uh, COVID has been very politicized, in my opinion. But you've seen nearly two dozen of Oregon's uh, most rural counties vote to join Idaho. So you had five counties this week uh, voting in favor of having local officials consider the issue to merge with Idaho. And this is in addition to other counties who voted in November of joining Idaho. And you're starting to see this cultural shift. How many people have seen uh, in your area, have seen people flee the blue states where the crackdowns are really hard and really oppressive and go to red states like Florida? Florida has been inundated. With people from blue states who are fleeing what they voted for in a lot of different ways, economy and everything else. But for a lot of them, it's the freedom of Florida and the freedom of being able to breathe and not having to wear a mask and and, and being able to attend events and be able to live again because they fled uh, you know, New York or New Jersey or these these more oppressive blue states to go to a red state. And I'm curious how many people are seeing that in their states, because, I mean, I'm, I'm a Jersey girl and we see all the New Yorkers who are moving in and you know who they are because they're the ones walking outside with their masks on. That's who they are. They will walk with their masks on outside and will walk across the street so they don't have to walk, come near you. We're like, oh, yeah, New Yorkers or transplanted Biden voters. You know, that's who they are. So I'm just curious if you see that happening at all where you are. And, and do you think it plays into this whole divide with COVID exacerbating what happened and the politicization of COVID? 866 4087 Back with more on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. We're just talking about um, COVID and fear. And again, I, I, I'm not judging anybody, but I, okay, okay. I do a little bit. If I see people who you know are vaccinated and they're still wearing a mask and they still stand six feet away from you, I just look at you and assume you're a Biden voter. I could be wrong. But that's pretty much what I think. And they feel the same way. You had David Hogg saying that. Um, and, and who was it? Rachel Maddow, who said, I'm going to have to reprogram myself to to realize that it's OK to be around people who aren't masked. And David Hogg who said he's going to even though he's vaccinated, he's still going to wear the mask because he doesn't want anyone to think he's a Republican. God forbid people think I'm not a conformist, I'm a non conformist. My goodness, that would be terrible. And you see, um, you, you see this great migration that I think has been exacerbated by COVID, where people are leaving these blue states, I mean, for taxes and all that other stuff. But they see red states like Texas, Texas and Florida, and to a some extent, Georgia as well. And they say, you know what? Those states are wide open. Wyoming is another one. Montana is another one. Where they, Idaho. And they say, those states are wide open. I'm allowed to breathe there. I can be outside without a mask. There's all sorts of things I can do that I can't do in my blue state. And so they're picking up and moving. I know I've seen it in New Jersey, even though New Jersey is really blue. Um, It's getting bluer with everyone moving out of New York into New Jersey. You have counties in Oregon now that are actually voting to join Idaho, because they say that they're different from the rest of Oregon, and they're, they said, you know, we're just, we're just going to go over here. We're going to go to Idaho, and you guys do your thing, and we're going to go over here. 866-408-7669 in Texas. Ah, one of those states, Eric, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi.
7: Hi. Thank you so much. It's great to talk to you.
2: Glad you joined us.
7: Yes. Uh, yeah, you you would ask about uh, people that are vaccinated that don't want to be around you if you're not. Yeah. Yes, my my father and my stepmother have both been vaccinated, and they don't want to be around me if I don't take the vaccine. Why? Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you, because, you know, from my point of view, if if you've taken the vaccine and if it works— then what difference does it make whether I do or not?
2: That would be the thinking of a sane person. And Eric here did the math. And apparently the number of people who have been vaccinated who have then tested positive for COVID, which means they're symptomatic and that's why they got tested, or it's just part of their everyday you know, existence, you're still getting tested despite being vaccinated, which is insane, is 0.01%.
10: <laughs> yeah, so what I are you don't to do?
2: Wait. So what are you going to do? Are you going to get tested or are you just going to call it a day and say, you know what, I'll send you a Father's Day card? There you go.
7: There there you go. I'm not I'm not going to take a vaccine that I don't feel comfortable with regardless. So, I mean, you know, it's a sad thing that it comes to that, but um, I'm just I'm not going to do what I don't think is in my best interest.
2: Yeah, I, I I agree, and it's sad that that's the way your parents feel. But I think there are a lot of people like that among the older cohort because I think we have just frightened them so much that they are literally afraid for their lives. And I Welcome. think that that's really really sad, Eric. Thank you for sharing your story, and, and best of luck with that. But you know, only seeing your parents via Zoom, I I don't know, but but I also don't think it's fair to request that someone take a medication or an injection or, or something to make you comfortable. They should do something to their bodies to make you comfortable. And this is, I think going to be the divide. There are people that I know I'm pretty much convinced I'm never going to see again because I refuse to disclose my vaccination status to them. I'm like, it's, it's truly none of your business. I'm not discussing my medical history with you. And they, they go, well, then then we, we, you know, we can't get together. I'm like, oh, okay. Duke in Ohio, Duke, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi.
14: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate yeah,
3: it. Sure.
14: I don't I don't have any hard data. This is anecdotal. But I wasn't surprised when you talked about the 40-some the percent of folks vaccinated who are still scared. And the reason I say that is, the, anecdotally, the folks I'm seeing that are going after the vaccine tend to be the folks that use emotion to drive their decisions in life they're not the rational folks they're not the ones doing the research and when when you're driven by emotion fear is one one of the strongest emotions and motivators out there so i'm absolutely not sh- not shocked that a lot of these people getting the vaccine are still living their life in fear they're not chasing data
2: Yes. But if you if you ever presented that to them, they would, of course, they don't believe that they're emotion based. They believe that they're the logical ones. They're the ones using common sense. And I've had try to have conversations with these people about things like gun control. Right. And you can hit them up with all of these facts, but they can't process them and to watch them try to process it is is like and i I don't mean to demean anyone here but this is how i see it in my brain they're like the labrador retriever trying to figure out where the ball went when you pretended to throw it so you know they kind of tilt their head a little bit and they're like no no
14: (laughs) and that's the thing when you know talking with you know some of my acquaintances with that and you know i bring up stuff where i'm like you don't have to rely on the decades of, of scientific tests showing about the, the ineffectiveness of masks. I'm like, the CDC itself has said that in the last few months. The CDC has said this. The CDC has said this. And I'm like, are, are you considering these? And, you know, because I'm like, yeah. the CDC for the last year has been your trusted source even when they had bad data. Yeah.
2: Duke, we got to run. We're up against the clock. But thank you so much for joining us. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmead on The Brian Kilmead Show.
0: the business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.